you know, I think I just led with the thought of service, um, even while going through my own personal pain. Um, I think as a leader, that's something that you have to consider is like, like you said, like you've heard so many stories and you're like, oh, just when you think you've heard a difficult story, there's always, there's always difficult stories. But I think the true test of like how we're all going to up level from 2020 and 2021 and beyond is how are we going to then show up for each other? We just have to be better. Like we don't need to be better machines. We need to be better humans. Hello and welcome to Year of the Pivot on the Beyond Networking Podcast. This season, we're learning from individuals and organizations who made monumental shifts in 2020 in order to keep their business alive and continue their mission. I'm your host, Brian Miller, an author, speaker, coach, and consultant on human connection. Today's guest is Hannah Jung. Hannah is the founder of Reboot Experiences, a set of programs designed to help people stop being machines and start being human again. We were connected through a mutual friend, David Nabinsky, who runs the Career Portfolio podcast on which Hannah and I have both appeared. When COVID hit, Hannah was already in the midst of personal tragedy and family emergencies. As you'll hear her describe, COVID was basically secondary to the devastation unfolding in her personal life. And so she called upon her own inner strength, the same strength she teaches and facilitates with Reboot to create her pivot. In this conversation, you'll hear how being a first-generation child of immigrant parents has completely shaped Hannah's philosophy on life, how she previously pivoted away from a miserable career in corporate America, and what it means to reboot your life. By the end, this episode is truly more than the sum of its parts. Check the show notes for all the ways to connect with Hannah. Head to yearofthepivot.com for the Pivot Power newsletter. Get notified when a new episode drops, the Pivot Pearl of the Week, and gain access to exclusive live streams, masterminds, and clubhouse get-togethers. And now I bring you Hannah Jung. This episode was made possible by Riverside.fm. Capture full, high-quality, raw audio in up to 4K video natively and without any internet interruptions. That's right. Even if the internet blips out during the live call, your recording remains pristine. Head to Riverside.fm for your free trial and a big thank you for sponsoring Year of the Pivot. Hannah, thank you so much for being here. I'm really, really excited to uh, to actually to meet you for the first time right now. Amazing. Thank you so much, Brian, for having me on and for listening to the call to, to chat. Before we get into all the origin stories and your pivot story, this stuff that we're going to talk about, what are you working on right now? What's on your plate this week? So right now I am working on Juggling several things per usual, um, being a multi-passionate person, that's just the name of the game. Um, I'm currently running um, my company Reboot Experiences, which um, focuses on up-leveling leaders and conscious business uh, creators and entrepreneurs. Um, and I do that through the form of online coaching and in-person experiences, which obviously during COVID has been on pause. And then 
Also, I'm co-authoring a book with a member of my community um, to kind of really highlight um, the story of entrepreneurship through the lens of female Asian American immigrant. Like there's such a, there's it's so like compact that whole concept of like seeing um, success through the eyes of an immigrant child. So yeah, I mean, that's been really, really fun, but also very emotionally um, cathartic, <laughs> so to speak. It, has it been cathartic or has it, has it been difficult or both? I think both. I think it's a story that like needs to be told. It's something that um, we actually, I was um, a guest on her um, live stream series. And as a joke, I was like, oh, you know, more like immigrant kids should just like fear less and like start shipping it, you know, <laughs> like just like, you know, not be so worried about it being perfect or successful right out of the gate. And like more, more people need to like start taking bigger risks. And as a joke, uh, she was like, we should write a book. And I followed up with like, I'm being serious. <laughs> and that's like, that's like, you always need to be careful what you say around me because if you say things kind of like in passing I might take you seriously and I'm like all right I let's do it so here we are months later um, working on it and really it's to it's meant to serve as a battle cry for a lot of these immigrants who feel like a sense of guilt and um, need to please their parents and like working against like social norms and societal norms and family norms and you know cultural norms and all of the above and how do you navigate that with grace and with a lot of self-compassion that's such a cool that's such a cool project and such an important project and it's interesting to hear you say that because i've you're not the first person i've ever heard say that who is a child of immigrant you know parents and i you know you always kind of wonder you know if you look like me if you're a white male in america you know you you want to be careful about assuming anything but i've heard that so many times i started to think I, I don't think that's a stereotype that clearly seems to be the case you say guilt what uh, just out of curiosity what a, where is the guilt from is it from the parents from the culture just out of just curious yeah i mean obviously every family is very different but i have enough anecdotal evidence from my own life and from my friends lives that there is a sense of guilt um if you're a first generation immigrant child like your parents like gave up everything sometimes in extenuated extenuating circumstances arriving in a country to like you know for freedom for betterment all of the above and the sometimes explicitly, some sometimes implicitly, the parents will be like, I kind of gave up everything for you. You better succeed. And in terms of their definition of what success means, which to a lot of, you know, Asian Americans and Asian immigrants, like success equals money, success equals like having a good job, doctor, lawyer, or a failure, <laughs> you know? And um, it's just kind of this ongoing joke that like everybody without saying it, like, will know like if you're an immigrant it's like oh like what kind of like job do you have it's usually like the good on paper kind of success um even if their heart is pulling them somewhere else and i i find that um what's happening with our generation is there's kind of this like period of it's a go breaking point that inflection moment where you have to make a choice you know, we didn't grow up in another country. We grew up here in the States and we have parents with very different upbringing and very different expectations of us. And the guilt arises from at what point is it selfish to choose our own path or at what point do we have to honor our own path? 
So it's like this internal battle that a lot of people from my specific background and generation go through is like, do I choose between like my parents gave up everything? Like I should work hard, make money, take care of my parents, give it back, so to speak. Or do I choose like the American way, which is like choose your passion, find something that feels fulfilling and also brings abundance, but may not be something that our parents will understand. So I always say that if if my parents can't explain it to their friends in a very short sentence, like, oh, she's a doctor. Oh, she's a lawyer. Oh, she's an accountant. Like try to imag like, imagine like my parent, my poor parents trying to explain what I do for a living. Uh, she advises people on the internet while traveling the world and surfing. Like that makes like zero sense to an immigrant parent's mind. Like it implodes. So... <laughs> You know, you know, what's so interesting about this is that while that is clearly, you know, I, I cannot identify, you know, with with that, um, it's not that different. I'm thinking about my own upbringing. My parents are both computer scientists and they're all academics. And I was always meant to go off and be a PhD and be an academic. I had the grades for it. I had four O's and I had all the awards and I, cause I got the genes, right? I didn't do anything. I didn't work for it. I, I had no credit for that, right? That's all my genes, but I wanted to be a magician. And so I got accepted to PhD programs right out of undergrad and at the freaking last hour, senior year of college, I turned down PhD offers. And I was like, Hey, mom and dad, like that was a rough phone call home. I was like, uh, actually, I'm going to do card tricks for a living. Bye. I can laugh about it now because I ended up doing really well for myself. And once I gave a famous TEDx talk, then they had like the academic thing to kind of brag about. But for a long time, they didn't know what to do with me. Like my mom really just wanted to make sure I was happy and healthy. She was worried that being a self-employed magician, I wouldn't be able to afford to feed myself. And that was a legitimate worry. Uh, but, you know, my dad really, I feel like he was proud of me, but he didn't know how to be proud of me. You know, it was like proud you're going out there, but when it fails, you'll go get your PhD, right? Like it was kind of like, like that. So obviously I, I can't identify with the immigrant parent experience, but as you were speaking about that, I was just like, yeah, I, I get that, you know, I, and, and. And this isn't the topic of what you and I are actually supposed to be talking about, but I'm not going to be beholden to that because I want I, I'm enjoying where we're going with this conversation. So I'm, I, I'd like to dig in a little bit more there. What do you do or what did you do? Maybe don't speak. In, you don't have to speak in generals for other people. What did you do to navigate that to to? Did you wait? Did you try to find specific successes that you could explain easy? Did you deliberately seek out opportunities within the field you were creating for yourself that would make it easier for your parents to understand? Yeah, well, how do you do that? <laughs> it was definitely not a straight journey. Um, definitely took a winding road, got lost in the woods, ended up back on a road that I paved myself. <laughs> Yeah. So it's one of those. Um, so yeah, I'd say like, there's kind of, you know, I'm still fairly young. So I can't really like I'm like uh, 38. But I mean, there's still probably more chapters ahead. But I'd say like, looking back on my life, there's like the chapters, probably the first half is all about living according to my parents values and upholding their expectations of me and my life that I created for myself sort of matched those expectations. So I tried it their way. Like I 
went to Boston College. Like I got all the top internships. I worked for a big media conglomerate. I had name brand clients like Rolex and Samsung, you know, like things, like household names that my parents like, oh, she works for Rolex. I was like, actually, I don't work for them. They're my clients. It's strategy. But I just kind of kept it simple for them. Um, you know, I worked in New York yeah. City and London, you know, like very like it's like the it's like the resume success. Yeah, it's the it's the Instagram success. Exactly. Yeah. So like, you know, I lived a normal New York City lifestyle, like, you know, working hard, playing hard just to kind of deal with the busyness of it all. And then I got burnt out. And, you know, I ended up in the hospital from stress induced ulcers. I remember like um, having this like flashback of like when I was a kid, like my uncle had passed away from stomach cancer when I was like 11 because I'm pretty certain that it's from stress because our family has like a history of like, you know, stress induced like medical issues. And I didn't know that that was a symptom of just me constantly burning myself out. And that hospital visit, the second visit in one month, it was really a wake up call to just be like, okay, like clearly I tried it their way and it's not working something like I can only trick my mind so far. I can't trick my intuition, even if I didn't know it at the time. So I designed an experiment to take a year to do something completely out of the box. Um, I sold everything in New York. I bought a one-way ticket to Fort Lauderdale of all places because I randomly wanted to work on a super yacht as yacht crew. Um, this is like years ago before that show Below Deck came about. It was literally, it started with two questions. The one was like, okay, like what, when was the last time I was truly happy? And that's like always being on the water. Um, and, you know, I go on sailing trips with my friends and that sounds like being near nature felt intuitively like where I wanted to be. And what's the lesson I need to learn here? And the lesson is like control. Like I need to let go of control because it was showing up in my personal life. It was showing up in my family life, my work, like every part of my life. The number one thing that kept coming up was control. And I think that's something that I've been conditioned and I've inherited from my parents. Basically that first little sidestep was the beginning of me almost reparenting myself and also developing a different sort of relationship with my parents. It was no longer, it was like, how do you respectfully as like a first generation child respectfully find your own path without rejecting your parents, but still doing it in a loving way. So that was, that was the biggest first step for me. That's a really fine line. And that is a huge first step. I mean, that's that's not like, a, well, let me see if I just step a little bit outside of this. You bought a one way ticket to I I almost burst out laughing when you said Fort Lauderdale, because I've heard that story so many times and it's always and I bought a ticket to Bali. I don't know why Bali is the place everybody's got to go to find themselves. You know, so you you actually you didn't escape. That's what I think was so interesting is that usually when I hear that story, it's I needed to go somewhere I need to get out. I need to escape. You didn't really escape. You you chose a destination that you thought would lead you somewhere. So what's really interesting is that you and I are the, here to talk about pivoting in particular 2020 and your your year of the pivot. And you're no stranger to pivoting because clearly you did that. You had the New York City job. Did, did you enjoy, by the way, living in New York? Yeah. 
I think for a long time. And then towards the end, I think it was like those brutal back-to-back winters and blackouts that really did it for me. That was a nail on the coffin. I was like, all right, that's it. I'm canceling winter for the rest of my life. (laughs) So many people just rave about living in New York. I'm going to offend so many listeners right now. Listen, I love New York City for a day for two days. I love going to Broadway and hitting the shops and going to the Jewish delis. I'm, I'm Jewish. And, you know, you don't have to be Jewish to go to them, by the way. Um, but, you know, I <laughs> just in case anybody was like, oh, am I not supposed to be there? Uh, so I love it. But I, I, I think it's only because I'm rewatching How I Met Your Mother right now. I'm at that point in quarantine. I'm watching it. And at some point, Marshall, you know, they all live in New York. And Marshall, he's like, you know, they say it's a city that never sleeps, but I like sleep. You know, <laughs> it's just it's like, yeah, that's that's how New York feels. I feel like you have to be a really, really specific type of person or pretend that you're a specific type of person. I think that's the um, to, that's to the key in. thing there. And like you can still like wholly love the city and love the your life there, but it may not always be what's best for you and your growth. And I think the key thing is like knowing and it's not just a New York thing. Um I mean, I feel like I could stubbornly hang on to New York if I had chosen to, but I I'm pretty sure that would have led to me getting cancer or, you know, other serious illness. So it was a matter of life and death for me. I was like, I can still love New York. It's like, it's like your first love, you know, you can still have fond memories of it and still hold it in your heart, but you can know when to let go because you are being called to move forward towards that next chapter, towards that next pivot. And like up until that point, all my pivots were sort of half-assed. Like it was like, oh, like... I call it treating the symptom, not the underlying cause. I was like, oh, what if I like work for a different agency? What if I transfer to London? What if I work client side? What if I work for a startup? So I was like playing with all these little variables, but still playing very much within the same realm. And that wake up call in the hospital was really like my invitation to be like, okay, no more half-assed pivoting. It needs to be a serious move and it needs to feel completely outside of your norm. Because clearly you're not learning the lesson. You're not learning the lesson of letting go. You're not learning the lesson of listening to yourself. Like you're still very stubbornly going according to the programming that you've been given or you've been inherited or whatever. And so that was sort of my, I guess, like act of both rebellion and self-care. So my my friend Debbie, she she's a physician and a resilience expert. And she was on this season uh, or earlier by the time that this episode's out. Uh, she came on to talk about resilience because that's what that's what she studies. And she is actually a practicing family physician. So she's um, she's amazing. And one of the things she did was she laid out basically the eight steps or the eight components of building resilience. And, and I say building resilience because it's one of the things she taught us on the podcast was it's it doesn't happen by chance. It doesn't happen by accident. One of the big myths that she busts about resilience is people think that simply going through adversity makes you more resilient. And it's just not true. You actually have to choose to learn something from it. And you have, you know, otherwise you, you know, she, her gave, she gave this example. She goes, everybody can think in their head about someone they know that's always going through difficult situations, but nothing ever gets any better. It never gets any easier. And that's because going through difficult situations doesn't make you more resilient. But you did some two of the things that you talked about, which is uh, setting goals and taking action are two of the key components of resilience. And so let's talk now about 2020. So 
Talk me through just before the world fell apart in March, which if you were on the East Coast, as I am, uh, it was March 12th to March 14th. I think it was kind of the 36 hours that I'll never forget as long as I live. Talk me through what you were working on and then like how it fell apart and what you were feeling initially. What's the first thing that kind of happened? So I was in Oaxaca City at the time. I was just finishing up a for anybody where, where is where is that a city in mexico to mexico yes exactly so um yeah i was leading a um uh, a summit for leaders um based on the concept of creativity and we we're all in oaxaca like you know visiting artisans and going through personal development leadership development all of that everything was fine and i'm kind of in my own little world as everyone was <laughs> pre-covid announcement and um, the day it ended, um, so my aunt um, had been battling stomach cancer for a couple months, and then I got the call from my aunt the day, literally an hour after saying goodbye to people, like, thanks for coming. I got a phone call from my aunt. She's like, hey, I'm in the emergency room, and I don't want to bother my son. And, you know, this is her husband had was my uncle that passed away from stomach cancer. So many years later, she too got stomach cancer, also a dentist. And she was like, um, hey, like, could you please come? Like, I don't want to bother anyone else in the family and I trust you. So I literally had to scramble to like fly to Texas um, at the last minute, arrive. And like, even while the hell of COVID was breaking loose, like it was like it coincided at the same time of like my personal hell with like worldwide hell. So it was just like, a lot so in some way like COVID was actually secondary that day to like what was actually happening in my life so that's definitely like what I was dealing with um and then the moment the border started like there were talks of the border shutting down and whatnot the first thought I had was I have to first of all make sure my aunt is okay and safe and, and stable second thing is like I need to get the hell out of the U.S. because you know I'm I'm nomadic for the last like seven years and one of my homes that I rotate between is Nicaragua and it's like the place I've been going back to for the last five years and instinctually I was like I need to be in a place that I feel good that I could quarantine that I can be safe and that I could find the space mentally emotionally physically to actually process what's happening both on a personal level and on a global level. So I went to Nicaragua and um, decided to quarantine there. And in that time, um, I had I didn't know that the Oaxaca City experience would be my last in-person experience, but in some way it was beautiful because it set us all up for emotional and mental like compassion and um, resilience like from the get-go. So it was amazing the timing of it. And then it gave me the the space to actually do something that I've been wanting to do for ages, which is, you know, take some of the workshops I've been developing over three years and finally create like a real digital like platform for it and have a full program from start to finish. So it was truly a blessing in disguise. But like the day that I like I, I started working on them, the day that I launched that program, I found out my aunt was like in critical condition. So I had to fly back. She passed away. Two days later, my grandfather, who was 106, by the way, really healthy, but he also passed away two days later. So it was, I think for a lot of people, 2020 was challenging, but it was like, again and again. So 
yeah, resilience is definitely the word that comes to mind for 2020. But it was the best of times and the most challenging of times because I can't really, I've kind of like developed a very intimate relationship with death. I had a lot of loss in my life. And I, and I use death as a catalyst to remember that like, we're only here on this earth for a short amount of time. So got to make the most of it. I'm so sorry for all the, all the losses. Um, and, and in such short a period of time, it's just, um, you know, I, I, I can't imagine, uh, uh, just and and so many people. I mean, this the stories. Every time you think you've heard the worst story, you hear another story, and it's worse. And it just. I mean, twenty twenty was just relentless um, in 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 that way. So you did draw attention to that silver lining, though, and that's what everybody who's been coming on the show, of course, is it found, which was. You had one, and you and I have a very similar story in, in the sense of I'd spent years and years as a speaker and coaching, consulting, but always on site because that's my home. I love flying around the world and being in the room with people and whether it's on stage or, or, or running a small workshop. And for years, I thought at some point, I'm not going to be able to keep doing this. You know, my back is killing me all the time. We can never have a family. We, we could never have kids because I'm gone 200, 250 days a year, whatever. How are we ever, my, my wife and I wanted to have kids and we got to the point where we were old enough that like our friends and cousins had three kids, four kids and we're like, we haven't, we can't. And so I've kept going for years, man, I wish I could build that kind of virtual business that I see other people have built. But who's got the time? I don't have the time. I'm on the road 250 days a year. And then, COVID's like, oh, you wanted time. You've got nothing but time. Sit in that one room. Don't leave your house. You have nothing but time. That's all I needed. I needed I needed one break, just a break where I could get off the hamster wheel just, just for a minute. And and I couldn't believe how many programs they built out and how successful they were and how quickly I could I could do that uh, when I could actually focus on it. So it was that your experience? Did you find that the actual process of building the new programs was relatively easy? Yeah, I mean, I think the actual pivot part of it was fairly easy. Like I actually felt like it was I was enjoying it. It was like my little shelter from the storm. And I did it with joy and I did it with love and like intention of like helping people through a very difficult time. Um, And I built like basically everything from start to finish within like a month or so pretty quickly. And then like within the first month of launch, you know, I, I built it in a month and then right away started my first cohort. And you know, I think I just led with the thought of service, um, even while going through my own personal pain. Um, I think as a leader, that's something that you have to consider is like, like you said, like you've heard so many stories and you're like, Oh, just when you think you've heard a difficult story, there's always, there's always difficult stories. But I think the true test of like how we're all going to up level from 2020 and 2021 and beyond is how are we going to then show up for each other? We just have to be better. Like we don't need to be better machines. We need to be better humans. And part of that is like leading with service and leading with love. And I think that's probably why like I really resonated, um, with the people that I've been connecting with since the last year, David being one of them and all of the other people that I've been connecting with since, I think 
there is definitely a movement towards more people showing up for each other and it's more about human uplevelment because we realize like we can't uplevel as a society if the individual pieces us humans are not upleveling first so there's only so much hardware can do you have to upload the software <laughs> so you know it's really exciting the the most exciting thing in the midst of a devastating time in our history over the last year is for me, you know, I've been talking about the human connection revolution for like five or six years on stages. And I've been talking about it as a concept and kind of as a as a brand, you know, I've been talking about it as kind of my it's my brand, right. Um, and then over the last year, it happened, it started the human connection revolution really went from being a hashtag that I was using that nobody cared about to something that actually just came up in the world as a direct result of having the human aspect of our lives stripped away and it just made people go oh my god i this really does matter like i remember just a week into lockdown the same people that had been the a week earlier had been complaining about their annoying co-workers they would have done anything to have a water cooler chat with one of those annoying co-workers and that was a week in when we only thought it was going to be a few weeks you know let alone a year later now so that to me is a really exciting, you know, global simultaneous realization that this push to take the humanity out of every industry um, is flawed, you know, massively flawed. It's like, yeah, automate the things that can and should be automated, but automate the things in order to give us more time to be human. Don't automate the, the human things, right? Exactly. I mean, I wholeheart. I mean, like I, I love technology for everything that it's done for us. And I think in some ways it has helped us in a lot of ways. But I think just like to your point, we're, we're missing the whole intention behind why we want to automate. And, you know, at a certain point, the technology is going to replace quite a lot of jobs. And they're like, you know, when I tell people this, very frankly, they're like immediately defensive, like, oh, but like, no one can replace me. I was like, listen, everything is replaceable, except for the the things that make us the most human, which is compassion, which is creativity, which is human touch and connection. There's a lot of things that like cannot be outsourced and cannot be algorithmic. Yeah, kindness, um, inspiration, you know, like things that like it's there's hard to, it's hard to put a number behind inspiration because it comes from somewhere else or it comes from within whatever um, that cannot be programmed. So, you know, instead of focusing on trying to keep up with the machines and the algorithm, like, don't play that game. Like you're no longer playing that game, go find a different thing. And that's part of the reason and the part of the work and the core focus of what I do with reboot is to make sure that you find a way back to yourself, your core software, so that you know how to amplify that and not try to compete and play in the old model, which it's already breaking. And I think that in order to become truly you know, like recession proof, like pivot proof, whatever, like it's, it's about what can you do to be more you and like in a way that serves more people. And like, people don't believe me when I say that, like, if you lead with service and you lead with your authenticity, like it does get rewarded, but people don't trust that people don't believe that because everything we've been taught says otherwise. It's it's so true. And it's it's so sad too to see it, to see people instinctively 
and they believe this with all of their hearts, they're not just saying it, to push back when you tell people to lean in to what makes them human and stop just trying to fit in and be a cog in the machine and all that stuff. And you just, people have this pushback, like, no, that's not the way. And you're like, oh man, it's so deep that people can't even see themselves getting out of it. You know, I, I feel like we're really living in the matrix right now. Like where so many people, like really like that movie is less of a sci-fi film. If you watch it now, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's our life. Like so many people are still plugged into the matrix and and, and so hopelessly dependent on the system, right? That they can't see themselves getting out. of. And it's not like, those of us who talk about this are some enlightened special unicorns or whatever. It's just, it's just a choice. It's just a choice. And and it sounds like what you do with Reboot is really helping people see that they have a choice and see how to take that. I'm the, the things that I share is like, Hey, like pivoting and changing yourself is just the part of your natural evolution. You don't need to fear it. There's a process to it. It doesn't have to feel so scary. And I think like part of you up leveling requires you to kind of go through that fire go through that painful like shedding but it doesn't actually need to be painful at all you just have to just accept it embrace it and um, i think the pain comes from the resistance it's like a snake like trying to like remain in its like old skin it's going to feel itchy it's going to feel uncomfortable and that's where i think a lot of human suffering comes from is like this really um misguided um, feeling of safety in their old self when they are naturally a growing evolving being and not being able to like accelerate the shedding in purposefully so that you can expand into something that you actually want so i'd say like i'm more of a personal evolution magician rather than anything i don't actually even identify with the word coach um i'm just yeah. right you did, did you did i see that you call yourself are you a mindset magician is that what i saw yeah how did i miss that term i was a magician for 10 years how did i miss that how did you get that term <laughs> i think i just you know because i i really believe in like change doesn't have to be painful in fact it can be quite playful and you know i tell people all the time like you know, I really believe that this world is like a game. I was like, listen, like, here's something to put it into perspective. Let's just say you go on living your life and then you wake up and you're finally, you know, wake up on the other side and you realize, fuck, it was all a simulation. and I gave up everything in my other outside life to come into this simulation. So in the end, this like, I imagine this woman coming up to me and like, oh, did you enjoy your experience? Like, would you rate it 10 out of 10? Would you recommend it to friends? And if the answer isn't fuck yes, I would definitely do it again. Then I played the game wrong. So that's why I really encourage people to think of life more playfully and in a much more bird's eye view, um, which is why sometimes I think people are so stuck in the day-to-day -day grind that they just lose sight of the bigger game. And I think part of my experience with death so frequently in my life has given me that zoom out posi like position a lot more often than I think than the average human, which is allows me to almost propel and give me that courage to take that next leap of faith over and over again. And that's basically what I'm doing is I systematize how do you approach it with 
more courage and more playfulness and with less resistance and fear and pain. I love it. I love that. I love that analogy. If, uh, if, if you actually found out if you, if it ended and you found out it had been a game all along and you had to rate it, that's, that's really good. That's really good. It's just, you know, and I'm not a big video game person, but every time I play a new video game, the first, the first thing you do, half the fun is just poking the box, right? Poking it to see what, oh, what happens if I do this? Cause who cares? It's a game. I mean, you know, so be careful with your real life because maybe it's not a game, you know, like let's, you know, don't jump out of a plane without a parachute, but take safety lessons, wear a parachute and then jump out of the plane, right? So Hannah, I- I'm going to ask you the three questions I ask everybody at the end of all of these conversations. And you're so comprehensive and 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 well-spoken in how you talk about these things that you've kind of covered these already. So we don't need to spend a long time on them, but just for clarity here. Um, the first question I have been told after dozens of these interviews now that it is very difficult. How would you describe your 2020 in one word? Up-leveling. What characteristics or personality traits of yours would you say were crucial to your success through the pivot? I think self-awareness first and foremost, is something that's been a practice of mine for many years, and I'm still practicing now. So that self-awareness and understanding like all the levers of emotional ups and downs um, and regulating that. So the second one would be a really deep connection to myself and my intuition. I spend a lot of time on purpose being bored and connecting and playing with that inner child and making sure that she's happy. And the third one is actually release. It's something that I had actively learned through that experiment of leaving my desk job to work on boats and all of that um, was the art of release. And like, there's only so much you can do um, and you just have to be compassionate and allow there, you know, of course you can try your best. I'm not saying like to do nothing, Um, But there's only so much you can do and you can't force things that aren't meant to be forced and you just have to at some point just let go, even if it feels like the scariest thing in the world. How did you decide to start being bored on purpose? It's a good question and something that I talk to my friends a lot about. Um, I actually create a thing called boredom days, which is usually at least once or twice a week, um, sometimes on the weekends. but it comes from a creative practice of mine, like as growing up as an artist, like some of the inspiration, you have to create space for inspiration to strike. Um, so if you never, if you jam pack your schedule every second, every moment of the day, even filling up like like waiting in line with like scrolling through your phone, there is no space for creativity to even find you. So people are like, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know how you're so creative and blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, are you giving yourself space? Every human is inherently creative. So for me, it's to honor my own creativity to create that space. And I don't make any plans with anybody else. I block out the day. I spend it usually solo in nature with a notebook. And like, I just wake up and based on how I feel, like, what do I feel like doing today? And to give myself that kind of freedom, you know, I know it's a luxury, but it's a luxury that most people can access as well. So yeah, like, how do I do it? I make time for it. I I block everything into my calendar, like my time for surf, my time for meditation, work, calls, all of the above, but you need to be just as serious about your own boredom, because that's the only thing. Time is something that you can never get back. So why not create that space, that white noise for the creative 
inspiration to enter. I got to tell you, this has been such an unexpected and delightful conversation. Uh, it went in many, many places. I did not expect it to go at all and much better places than I could have ever imagined. Uh, where do you want people to find you and connect with you on the interwebs? Oh, on the interwebs. Uh, you can find me on my website, uh, rebootexperiences.com, if you're curious to know how I help people up-level and approach their moments of change with a lot more courage and clarity. Um, also, you can find me on Instagram at the Hannah Jung. It's H-A-N-A-J-U-N-G. Um, or at Reboot Experiences. And I share a lot of um, anecdotes and like mindset tips and Sometimes it's just musings of like me talking about life lessons from the surf. You know, as you can tell, like I'm a huge surfer and I love being in nature. And I'd say, yeah, if you ever struggle with like perfectionism and limiting beliefs and self-sabotage and all of these behaviors that I feel like stop many people from living this fun game to its fullest. Um, I talk a lot about that. So, yeah, if that's of interest to any of your listeners, then you know where to find me. I'm going to ask you one last very, very quick question, which is just, what's the outlook? What's your outlook right now on the future of your business now that you've done the pivot and it's virtual and you're where are you? Are you in Nicaragua? I'm right in now? Ecuador now, but I will be in Nicaragua right. next week. Yes, <laughs> I'm building a house. Wonderful. You're just all the places. Exactly. I, I, that's so exciting. I, I haven't been on a plane since I can't believe I haven't been on a plane since, you know, the first week of March last year. I mean, in 15, 16 years of doing this, I've never gone more than a week without being on a plane somewhere. This has been bananas. So it's so cool that you get to, I don't miss traveling, but I do miss travel. I miss travel a lot. Agree with you, which is why I, I try to like, if I go somewhere, it's for a particular purpose, which for me is um, to feel good. And part of feeling good is to be in warmer climates and be near the surf and nature and in a supportive network. So that's my reason for it. It's very much like for my business, I need to feel good because I'm the one driving it and leading it. So I need to be in a place to support others because it's like put on your own oxygen mask before you help others. It's that's the reason why I'm doing it. And you had asked like, what's the forecast for the rest of the year and my pivot. If there's one thing that I've learned is change is the only constant. And it's something that I've embraced, whether it feels like it's um, an upward trajectory or a downward trajectory. The point is it will continue to loop again and again. So I have no, I'm going to try my best to build this life and this chapter and this pivot to the best of my abilities. And when it's time, it's time to let go. I have this visual of a sand mandala. Um, are you familiar with that? I am. It's kind of like that. I build every chapter of my life when I feel inspired to create a new sand mandala. I am fully focused, fully in it. But when it's time, I'm happy to wipe it clean and move forward, knowing that I'll build something different. Just something just as beautiful. That's as good a place to end as any. And uh, I can only say that I'm jealous of your warm weather. I have two feet of snow outside and my driveway is an ice skating rink from all the freezing rain in Connecticut. So you enjoy your warm weather. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, Hannah. I mean, this, is, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Brian. 